0: Well, good morning Gates. it's uh, great to be back with you again and uh, just want to assure you that you're very much in my heart still and I pray for you every day. Now we've come to a point where you're looking at this series of Encountering Jesus and I'm going to continue with that and to do so by looking at the miracle that Jesus does in John chapter 11 with the raising of Lazarus. Jesus in this chapter declares himself to be the resurrection and the life and then he demonstrates that he is that by raising Lazarus from the dead. The passage in John 11 is actually a very long passage and so I haven't got time to preach through all of it but I'm going to pick up about halfway through where Jesus knows already that Lazarus is dead and has been in the tomb for some four days and is now approaching the tomb. And we'll read from John 11 and verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour for he has been there four days. And Jesus said. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go." I'm sure that you'll have heard the expression Christian doctrine. Uh, It's not a unique uh, word to to be used by Christians, the word doctrine, but it is a particularly Christian term and it refers to Christian truth, which we gain from the Bible. So we can speak, for example, about the doctrine of prayer, And we gather in all the verses and the truth that there is in the Bible about prayer and teach that. That's the doctrine of prayer. But in this passage, we are reading about resurrection and life. And the interesting thing is that Martha knows her doctrine. If you go to verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Well, where had she gained that truth, that doctrine? Well, she gained it from the Old Testament scriptures, from the book of Daniel and from other places. So Martha was grieving for the death of her brother Lazarus, but she knew the doctrine, the doctrine of the resurrection. And so she would have been comforted by that. Now. Sunday by Sunday what we're doing partly as we uh, preach the Word of God is to lay down the truth, to lay down doctrine into our lives and we need this in a time of illness, in a time of death. What is our hope? Well it is in the doctrine of the resurrection. and I make that point today because uh, here we are many weeks on still online with our uh, services, and perhaps some of, us are, some of us are beginning to feel we are getting a bit fed up with this. We'd like to disengage from, from this. But brothers and sisters, we need the doctrine. Uh, Paul said once that it was no trouble for him to keep reminding uh, people of what he had previously said and written, reason being that we can so easily forget. And here was Martha grieving for the loss of her brother, but she knew the doctrine. She knew about the resurrection. And truth needs to be embedded into our lives as well. So, a few things from this passage. First of all, what happens when we die? Now, that's a very common question, and I've been asked it many times. And I believe that a lot of Christians are quite vague about what happens after death. If you're going on holiday for two weeks, for example, remember those days? Uh, and supposing you're going somewhere that you've never been to then you probably want some information about the place that you're going to. Well, we're going to heaven forever, so it's good if we know something about it. Well, here's part of the answer, at least, as we pick up in the most famous verse of this chapter in verse 25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And I want to say, yes, I do believe it, but it sounds somewhat contradictory. Uh, Do we die or don't we die? Well, of course, everyone dies. And Jesus actually acknowledges that in verse 25. He says the believer or the one who believes in me, even though they die. So he acknowledges that even believers uh, do die. I'm living in that generation that you younger ones who are watching this will have uh, already noticed that older people speak about being the generation where people are saying uh, it's beginning to seem as though everyone I know is dying in my generation. Well I'm in that generation where to some extent that is beginning to happen. Uh, So two people I know uh, of my generation have died in the last month but perhaps i to also register the fact that I've known a lot of people younger than me, who have also died. I think and think back about three years, and there were four people I knew very well, who all died well, uh, and all of them were quite a bit younger than me, but they all died quite closely together. That included my own sister, who was four years younger than me. Most people don't want to think about this, but we do all die. And also, of course, death levels everyone. Uh, Whether you're rich or super rich, you can't pay your way out of death. Uh, Whether you're very famous, your fame won't carry you away from death. Have you ever noticed how many very famous footballers seem to die quite young? If you're very powerful, if you've got uh, that status of being prime minister or a king or queen or a dictator, your power is still not going to enable you to evade death. No one escapes death. No one has an advantage at this point. We're all level and equal at the place of death. And so Jesus acknowledges that believers die. But then there's this apparent contradiction because he says there in verse 26, whoever lives by believing in thee will never die. So do believers die? Or don't they die? Well, of course, we have to push at this a bit. And if we're reading that a believer is one who dies and yet doesn't die, this can only mean that believers won't experience the totality of death as we would understand it. And that gives us part of the answer about death here and what happens at death. It means that believers leave this life and they go into a new dimension of life. There's a a picture that I've given, and I've given it at CityGate in past years, so please forgive me if you've heard this before. Uh, It's no problem for me to remind you of things I've said before, but I think it's helped a lot of people to understand something of the process. I want you to imagine that you've lived all your life in just one house. That's been your complete life. And it's a house with many rooms and during the course of your life uh, you from time to time move from one room to another room and spend time there and some rooms are, are very uncomfortable and you don't have a very good time there other rooms are really comfortable and you have a great time in those particular rooms but in this house there is a back door and you think about that back door occasionally and you wonder what's on the other side of that door. So you spend your whole life in this house going from room to room. And then one day you find yourself being drawn towards this back door. And suddenly you realise you can't avoid going through it. And the door swings open and you move through that door. And as soon as you move through that door, for the very first time ever, you see a blue sky, green fields, you see trees and flowers and lakes and water and everything is better and everything is enhanced. Well, it's going to be like that when we come to the point of our death. We'll go through a door, but on the other side of that closed door, there will be a new dimension of life and everything will be enhanced. That's why, for example, Paul can say, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain and why he says that it is better to be with Christ, better by far to be with Christ. Let's go on secondly to talk about death and grief. Now a believer will go through a door into a greater life, but there's always grief for those who are left behind at that point. Maybe you have recently lost someone who is quite close to you, and there is grief when that happens, And you still feel grief, even when you have strong convictions about heaven. Uh, That was true for Martha. She believed her brother would rise again, yet clearly she was a woman in deep grief. It's also true for the Apostle Paul. Now, I've always been fascinated that in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says that death is gain. But in Philippians chapter 2, just a few verses further on, Paul speaks about somebody called Epaphroditus who had come to visit him. And he says in verse 27 of chapter 2, Epaphroditus was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. So here's Paul saying that death is gain uh, to our advantage that we die, that we're going to be with Christ, which is better by far. And yet when a friend almost dies, Paul says, if he had actually died, I would have grieved so deeply for him. And so for those who are left behind, there's always a sense of loss and grief. Death always brings grief, even for those that believe and have the strongest convictions about eternity and heaven. But therefore, it is always grief with hope. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that we do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now, interestingly, with this story of the death of Lazarus, there's plenty of grief. His sisters, Martha and Mary, are deeply grieving. And also, we see Jesus' response, which is quite extraordinary in this story. In verse 33 to 35, we read that when Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, they replied. And then the only two-word verse in the New Testament, uh, so powerful, really, Jesus wept. So Jesus himself weeps at the time of the death of Lazarus. But also, we read that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, I've got a huge number of commentaries on the book of John, on the Gospel of John at home and I've often looked at this particular statement about Jesus and find that the commentaries disagree and uh, they're not really sure that they can fully explain what it was that was happening here that caused Jesus so much a kind of anguish. Uh, The word deeply troubled actually is a word that can express deep emotion but even some anger. Uh, why is it that Jesus is so full of emotion? Is he expressing some form of anger here? Why is he so troubled? And some suggest it was because of the reality of death that hit Jesus at that point. Others suggest that maybe it was because people around him then didn't seem to really believe in his power and in what he can do. And there's a lot of discussion about this and therefore it's a bit risky to be dogmatic about it but certainly there was grief there was emotion there were tears jesus wept maybe there was even anger in some way and sometimes you know when there is a death there is anger anger can accompany death we can say when a person dies quite angrily why did they have to die at this time or why couldn't somebody have helped them more than they did Even you can be angry with yourself and think, why didn't I do more for this person? There is strong emotion and grief at death, but always with hope. And of course, as far as Jesus is concerned, he is the hope. He is the resurrection and the life. And Martha and Mary had hope even before Jesus turned up on the scene because they believed that Lazarus, their brother, would be raised up on the last day. And Paul has hope because he says death is gain. So there's grief and emotion at death, but never without hope. And Jesus, the great I am of history, has a voice that rings out across the centuries of Christian grief and Christian martyrdom as he declares, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he proves it by raising Lazarus from the dead there and then. A few weeks ago, right at the height of the pandemic, the wife of an elder that I worked alongside in Brighton for many years died just at the age of 62. And I say it was right at the height of the pandemic and restrictions, even for funerals, were uh, very difficult. And it meant that when... Uh, this uh, lady was buried in a graveyard in Brighton that only 10 people could be there and there was no singing uh, it was just a very simple uh, service and they were all spaced out from one another these 10 people as her body was laid into the grave and I know that if it had been a normal time The church building in Brighton would have been packed with hundreds of people who had come to celebrate her life, but now she was being buried with just 10 people spaced out in a cemetery in Brighton. And it just reminded me of this, my friends, that we don't actually need a great funeral. What we are hoping for is a great resurrection. That is our hope. And Jesus, he is the resurrection and the life. And then thirdly, I want us to see that this miracle is a sign. In John's Gospel, uh, when we encounter Jesus doing a miracle, it's always a sign pointing to something else. The first uh, miracle that Jesus did, which was a sign, was when he turned water into wine. And John says this was the first of the signs that Jesus did. This sign in John chapter 11, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, must be the greatest of all the signs that Jesus did. And a sign is always pointing to something beyond itself. And so the raising of Lazarus points, it's a sign, it points to something greater. In fact, I've been to two tombs of Lazarus. I have been to uh, the tomb in Bethany where it's supposed that Jesus uh, uh, came to when uh, Lazarus was raised from the dead. And you can go down into that tomb uh, today there in Israel and near the, the village of Bethany. But I've also been to another tomb of Lazarus and that was in Cyprus. And the reason is that after Lazarus was raised from the dead... The belief is that Lazarus eventually became Bishop of Cyprus and of course at some point he died again and was buried in in a tomb in Cyprus and I've been to the supposed tomb of where Lazarus was buried the second time. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and by doing so proves his claim to be the resurrection and the life. It was a highly visible demonstration of that claim. But my friends, he was actually only raised back to this life and one day he therefore had to die again, hence the tomb in Cyprus. What Jesus did at this time was a sign of something greater, that one day there will be resurrection to eternal life and we will never die again. I've often wondered what Lazarus's reaction was when he was called out of the tomb. Have you ever thought of that? I have this picture in my mind of Jesus and uh, uh, Martha and Mary and others going to the tomb and Jesus calls Lazarus forth. And of course, Lazarus walks out of the tomb, bound up with the grave clothes. And you can imagine the hollering and the shouting and the amazement. Uh, you can imagine that Martha and Mary were saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord. There'd been great celebration. But what about Lazarus himself? I sometimes wonder if he said, why did you bring me back? Because there must have been such wonders that he saw after that death. You may recall that in Corinthians, Paul talks about some kind of -of out-of-body experience where he's caught up, he says, into the third heaven and into paradise. And he said, I saw and heard things that were so wonderful, I'm not even permitted to tell them. And certainly we don't have Lazarus telling us what he had seen and heard after his death. But Jesus brought him back to this life and he must have seen things that presumably he was not even permitted to tell either. Death is always untidy. I think of my friend Simon who was ministering in New Zealand a number of years ago and he taught at a seminar and after the seminar he'd gone onto a football field and was kicking a ball around and suddenly dropped dead like that just out of the blue just he was dead instantly and uh, you can say oh that's a nice way to go no suffering no pain uh, no old age he was just suddenly gone but he lived in South Africa and his body had to be transported back from New Zealand to South Africa in some ways it was a very untidy death And sometimes, of course, people die in their sleep and people say, oh, that's wonderful. That's how I'd like to go. Uh, Completely unaware, really, and just drift off in my sleep into death. That must be a nice way to go. But it's a huge shock for the people who are left behind that somebody goes to bed one night and the next morning they're gone. It's a huge shock. And therefore, again, really, it's untidy. And, of course... There are others who live to great old age and become increasingly frail. And again, there's something untidy about that. And then there are those that die of something like cancer. And of course, that's untidy in its own way as well. Death is really always untidy. And I thought a lot about that. And I believe it's because there is a deliberate contrast With what the bible says about the wonder and the glory which is to come. So in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17 Paul says for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we need to know the doctrine. Jesus is resurrection and life. He proved it by raising Lazarus from the dead He also proved it by arising rising himself. He died for our sin. And then he rose again on the third day. We're going to die. We can't evade it. And perhaps the coronavirus is a reminder to us just how frail all our lives are. Yes, we'll die, but we won't die. We'll go through a door into a new dimension of life in which there will be unspeakable glory and unspeakable joy. Amen. Father, we thank you for the sure and certain Christian hope that is ours, that at death, however untidy it may be, and whenever it may come, we have this sure and certain hope that we will pass through a door which we call death and immediately, On the other side of that closed door, there will be glory and splendor and wonder, which is beyond description. We thank you that Jesus Christ died for our sin, that we could be reconciled to God and that we could live forever. And we thank you that one day that door will open and close, that we will be with the Lord forever, rejoicing forever, seeing the glory of God forever fulfilling forever the hope which is now ours which will then be proved and be enjoyed we thank you so much for this glorious gospel in jesus name amen god bless you